Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse. You may know the name Dan Schulman. You almost certainly know the name of his company, PayPal. Dan took over as CEO of the online payments pioneer in 2015, when he engineered its split from longtime parent company eBay. Dan knows his way around mobile finance. He was the founding CEO of Virgin Mobile, and later an executive with Sprint and American Express. He joined our CEO, Dave Mackay, in conversation at RBC Capital Markets annual tech, media, and telecom conference in New York City. Here's their conversation. Great to be here, and I've been looking forward, Dan, to this conversation. We get to compare notes at you know, some events around the year, certainly at Davos. We had a great conversation, but we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, we're going to go through kind of a macro perspective on a, a number of drivers from digitization to mobility, demonetization that's happening. And then from there, you know, narrow a bit into the PayPal strategy, and, you know, which is you know, playing out beautifully in the marketplace. And then kind of move from there into some of the transformational technologies, blockchain, crypto, AI, and how you're thinking about them, how others are thinking about them, how you bring that world together. And then hopefully we have time to talk about leadership and purpose, which you know, we talk a lot about particularly yeah. at Davos. So Dan, you know, thanks for being here. And take it up to 100,000 feet. When you think of digitization, the transformation of our economy, a big play for PayPal, how do you see the world of digitization and mobility that kind of go hand in hand? What are the trends that you're thinking about? Um, So I think as we think of the marketplace um, uh, and the digitization of payments, I mean, there are clearly two big macro trends happening. Money is clearly digitizing in front of us, although 85% plus of the world's transactions are still in cash. Um, And in some developing countries, it's 90%. So there's a long runway and a gigantic opportunity for quite a number of players to uh, think about how do you rethink how money is managed and moved in a digital world. The second big macro trend Everyone talks about it, but I don't think you can overemphasize it enough, is the explosion of mobile. In the next three to five years, there'll be six billion smartphones uh, in the market. Smartphones now are coming down to, in some countries, $25. And there, you really have all the power of a bank branch in the palm of your hands. So um, I think we're going to see more change Uh, in the next five to 10 years in the financial services industry than we've seen in the past 25, 30 uh, years or so. How do you think about the transaction and the integration of that digital commerce transaction, payment transaction, into some of these platforms, whether it be a Facebook platform, an Amazon platform? Like, How do you think about how we integrate into those worlds and the changing consumer going forward? It differs market by market. In general, all of us need to create open platforms. That was a big shift in strategy uh, for PayPal. Um, And those open platforms need to connect to other uh, platforms, whether they be tech companies like Facebook, Google, and Alibaba, various financial institutions. Um, As you know, we have partnerships with almost all the leading financial institutions around the world now. And I think what we really need to do is take the best of our assets as a platform Mm -hmm. and combine them with the best assets of other players and then pull that together uh, into a value proposition that neither of us could offer alone. 
So Facebook has its own value proposition, but payments are an incredibly important part of that. And we are pretty much the underlying platform for that. If you think about Uber, Uber's a good example. Payments are invisible, Uber's created the application, but pretty much every single payment comes over the PayPal platform. Some are branded, some are unbranded, but we're the primary payments platform for Uber, for Airbnb, um, and for most of the leading uh, tech companies. As you think about demonetization, and you, t you talked right off the top about there's so much cash in their system, how do you see that progressing? Obviously, the grand experiment in India, where they're, well, for a number of reasons, socially, they're, they're accelerating demonetization. Do you see that as a, a large catalyst for digital growth and for growth of your platform? I do. I, I think in general, uh, and I talk to politicians and regulators across the world, because we have a you know, bird's eye view of this, and in many, in many places we're a market leader. And all of them are pushing very hard for the digitization of payments, because it can, if done the, the right way, bring in all of their citizens into the digital economy. And, and that's really what they want to go do. Right now, there are so many uh, middlemen. And in many ways, you know, managing and moving money is today sort of a right for the affluent. But it's very painful for those who are underserved. And there are over, call it 1.7 billion people in the world that are underserved by traditional financial institutions. You know, the things we take for granted you know, getting credit, paying a bill, cashing a check are incredibly time-consuming. People wait in line for 30, 45 minutes. It's practically a part-time job to manage and move your money if you're not part of the system. Um, and then every time they change from one form of currency to another, like from check to cash, it costs them money. And then they have to go, when you have cash, then you have to pay a bill. You've got to change that again. And here in the U.S., you've got 70 to 75 million adults who spend about 10% of their disposable income. Here in the US alone, over $140 billion every year on what I think of as unnecessary fees and interest rates. Um, and imagine, imagine if we could return even a quarter of that back. You know, you're talking about tens of billions of dollars in an environment where I feel it's more important than ever that people be financially secure. We've seen what happens politically when people are not financially secure. They rail against the system. Um, they're not necessarily voting for something, but they're voting against something because they don't feel a part of it. And I think we actually have the opportunity to make a real difference in that and do so in a very profitable way. I mean, I don't feel like organizing to serve the underserved um, is something that can be done that you have to choose between profit and purpose. I think if you do this the right way through digital platforms, through built-in mobile phones, you can do the same transactions at 80% less cost than you might have to do through more bricks and mortar. I think you can make a real difference. I think regulators are looking to go do this, and I think they are pushing really hard for the digitization of, uh, of finance as a result of that. I think whenever innovation is focused on a real problem to solve and a value creation opportunity, it is flourished. And when innovation hasn't, uh, maybe a Bitcoin is an example, where well, there wasn't a true problem to solve, it hasn't flourished as much. So. By the way, just to build on that, yeah. I, 
I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason that in-store digital payments is not taken off as quickly as people right. think in the U.S. is if all you're doing is a form factor change, instead of swiping your card, you're tapping your phone, um, those take a long time to evolve towards. If you're doing a value prop change where by swiping your phone, you're able to pay with rewards points, you're able to order ahead, you're able to skip the line, that's a value proposition change. And, and people will change the way they pay and how they do things. Because, you know, honestly, a credit card is not exactly weighing me down right now, you know, in my pocket. I, I mean, I, I can pull that out. It's pretty easy to go do. It works pretty well every single time. Um, if it's just form factor and not value proposition, then I think we're in for a long time before that happens. I think retailers are beginning to understand that right now. We're working with most of the largest retailers across the world right now and thinking about how do you think about digital payments? How do you think about the mobile phone, which is blurring the distinction between online and offline, and it's truly omni-channel shopping right now? Right. How do we provide a platform to help um, uh, merchants take advantage of the move to mobile commerce, and how do they create their own apps and value add around that and maybe combine the two together to create something uh, uh, magical for their consumers? So that, that's a great bridge into you know, PayPal specific and your specific strategy and transforming PayPal in this post-eBay world since 2015, which I think is a, is a brilliant articulation of a vision and a, and a fantastic execution of your vision, you know, just based on the results and the number of subscribers, you're saying the trade-offs you made and the partnerships that you saw. Can, can you kind of walk us through kind of the elements of that strategy, what you're really excited about, the challenges you may have? Well, the way we define our whole business strategy at PayPal is two words. So we want to be a customer champion. That's, that's literally the way we define it. When I first came into PayPal, my first at all employee meeting. I've been there for three hours. The question that I was asked was, do you think of PayPal as a technology company or do you think of PayPal as a financial services company? And I knew what they were trying to get at. Like they were worried I was gonna say financial services. Some were worried, like some people in our compliance firm were, were worried I was gonna say we were a tech company. So, so I knew we were a combination of both. But what I said to them is, I don't want to define us as either. What I want us to be known for, hopefully going forward, is being a customer champion company. And I said, that's two easy words to say and very difficult to go do. Because to your point, if you really want to be a customer champion, you have to challenge your own assumptions about your own business model. So um, we spent a lot of time with um, talking to customers, talking to uh, my board uh, talking internally about are we going to live up to this mantra of being a customer champion? Because if you are, you need to provide customers full choice every single time. Basically have that digital wallet be the manifestation of their physical wallet to pull out whatever instrument they want to pull out. And so uh, we announced this. Immediately our stock dropped 9% uh, the next day, which I got. I did get it. I was disappointed that it did, but not luckily because we had done a lot of uh, data on this. But right away, what we saw is that um, customers started spending more, engagement went up, churn went down, 
net new active started booming. You know, we hit a low two years ago of 3.6 million net new actives in a quarter. Last quarter, we did 9.1 million net new actives uh, in the quarter. Our engagement has doubled from three and a half years ago, from 18 times a year to 37 times uh, a year. Once we announced choice, it was as if a whole different world had opened. We were able to partner. We signed with Visa, MasterCard, recently with American Express, China Union Pay, I mean, networks across the world, financial institutions around the world. We are the largest digital distribution channel for most financial institutions now. It is driving our net new actives because people are now actually incenting their consumers to sign up for PayPal. Like, you would never, ever have imagined that two years ago or three years ago, that a bank would incent one of their customers to sign up for PayPal. But now that has turned, really, it's turned the competitive world for us on its head. Like we are partners now and actually tremendous allies with FIs and, uh, and networks and tech companies because we are a truly open, branded or unbranded platform. And that was a big change from product to platform. So that was a sea of change. So was, was that hard to sell? To the, to the banks who, like ourselves, worried about having someone between us and the customer at the end of the day? I think at first there was suspicion. Yeah. In fact, with one of the biggest banks, I know the CEO very, very well. I was telling him what we were going to do, and he didn't believe that we were actually going to do it. And he said, look, Dan, I've known you for a long time. I trust you, but I don't trust the organization. And then he told me the frog and the scorpion thing. You know, everyone knows that. And, uh, and he said, it's just in your nature to screw us. And I said, you know what? It isn't because there's a new person running the company right now. Yeah. And we are going to go do this. And when we go do it, um, we're going to be partners together. And so we nicknamed the project Project Scorpion uh, was the <laughs> internal name for both the bank and for us on this. And... We announced a giant partnership with them, including rewards points coming into our wallet, uh, then full integration between our onboarding processes uh, together. We're driving huge amounts of traffic uh, for them uh, right now. And so I think what happens is it takes time for people to really understand that a company has gone through a complete transformation of its business model. And I think now that those questions are, you know, in the past. Let's jump to the other side of that coin. So you've said in your strategy, and I just went through your, your investor day deck again, which was, was really well done. You want to be the internal opera, the iOS to the merchant yeah. platform. So can you talk a little bit about how, what that entails and your vision of where you need to be from a <clears throat> holistic yep. merchant value proposition? So um, one of the big changes that we had was how do we become a platform a, and really the operating system for a merchant for the digital mobile commerce. And what we were before, what PayPal is most famously known for, is a button on a website that most people clicked on from a desktop. Um, and so we are now a full suite of services on a common platform that merchants can tie into their applications, and we're really all of the plumbing underneath. So we'll obviously do a branded button because we have 250 million consumers that we can bring 
uh, to that that really demand having PayPal on, uh, on a consumer site to feel comfortable uh, shopping. But we also do all unbranded processing. So any credit card, any debit card, any financial instrument, we will put through our platform. Apple Pay, Android Pay, Samsung Pay, Visa's Wallet, all of them, all come through our platform. In fact, probably over 50% of Apple's traffic on Apple Pay comes through the PayPal platform um, because we are the integrator uh, for that. Um, we do uh, contextual commerce tool sets, we, which is basically, for instance, if somebody wants to transact in Messenger without leaving Messenger and going to Uber, they can transact right in the Messenger app. Which is critical. Make that, exactly, yeah, make that reservation and move. Yeah. That's contextual commerce. Yeah. So where you are being able to do commerce. Right. We have all of those tool sets for it. We have a full set of uh, mobile tool sets, marketing solutions, inventory management, invoicing, uh, mobile point of sale now uh, that somebody can uh, utilize if they want to do both online and offline. So it is a full suite of services that enables a merchant to very rapidly start to compete against the likes of an Amazon, for instance, right. because we provide one-click functionality. So with one touch, you can click once, check out. The only person who had that before was Amazon. Now any merchant can avail themselves of that. And so we solve a tremendous number of issues for small, mid-sized, and large merchants um, in their move to compete against some of the digital giants and to have a suite of capabilities that would have been very difficult for them to build uh, by themselves. Tell us one privacy and data. And what do you think we have to do as leaders? Where, where is kind of society going with this? How do you think as a business leader around data and privacy? Two, how are you leveraging AI and AI skills? Because really the game is to take data into knowledge, into value. It's just data is data. It's a cost structure until you get knowledge from it, until you create value from it. Well, I think security um, is job number one. Uh, well, you know, like availability, security, sort of compliance, those are sort of job one, two, and three uh, for any fintech or financial services company. Look, the average American business gets penetrated or attacked four million times a year by cyber criminals or uh, hacktivists or state-sponsored. The average financial services company were attacked well over a billion times a year. So having that security and the ability for people to know that you're secure is incredibly important. And consumer identity is stolen like every two seconds. So basically relying on username and password, it's like it just doesn't do it anymore. It's, not, it's barely interesting in terms of an authentication. Um, it's all the other data that I won't say um, you know, in a public forum, but we have a lot of indicators that assure that bad guys can't take money out. You can never prevent bad guys from coming in because everything is for sale on the dark web. What you can do is prevent them from taking right. money out. And that's a really important element of what we need to do, what retailers, why retailers trust us, why we came up with tokenization 15 years ago and you know, have really taken that 
level of data and uh, data machine learning to a whole different level. We'll do, we're on a run right now of some 10 billion transactions a year uh, that come through the uh, PayPal platform. Um, so we have a tremendous amount of data and information. We've been doing machine learning, you call it AI, um, uh, for quite some time, traditionally around fraud and um, identity. Uh, but it's now moving into marketing analytics. It's going into value propositions, like basically giving seller protection. Mm -hmm. We know it's you, and we can guarantee that transaction, um, which is very useful for cross-border uh, type of transactions. So I think an AI, our models, we think our models on the credit side are in the U.S. between 30 and 40% more accurate than FICO. And as a result of that, no offense to any FICO people that are in the room, but, uh, but as a result of that, we can extend credit lower down with the same risk uh, elements based on our modeling. In some countries, our modeling can be 60 to 80% better than what's uh, out there. So um, these are the kinds of things that allow you to do great things. Like we're probably now one of the top five lenders of working capital small businesses uh, in the U.S. We never look at a FICO score for a small business user. We only look at their history uh, with us. And that history is a great predictor of what their future behavior is going to be. And as a result, it's an interesting fact, so we've done billions of loans out there. 25% um, of our loans goes to the 3% of counties in the U.S., where 10 or more banks have closed branches. So those are typically lower income uh, areas. And we're able, as a result, to disproportionately lend uh, to minority-owned businesses, to women-owned businesses. And it's just such a win-win for those communities, for those neighborhoods, for those small businesses, and you know, for PayPal to be able to go and do that. So I think the use of artificial intelligence, the use of uh, data, um, which is exploding, is incredibly important for all of us in this room. I mean, you've got three big things happening in the world. You've got quantum yeah. coming. Quantum, by the way, is going to be here in like 15 years. And just to give you an idea of quantum today, we have about 2 billion transistors on a chip today, which is unbelievable because when IBM came out with uh, transistors on a chip in 81, they had 23,000, which was amazing at the time. So 23,000 transistors to 2 billion today. And with quantum, which measures it in qubits, it's a very different thing. So 16 qubits. So yeah, we will have, around. exactly. Yeah. We will have the equivalent of not a billion to 10 billion or to 100 billion or to a trillion. It will be the equivalent of one quadrillion transistors on a chip. Think about that processing power. Then put on, and by the way, with that processing power, all crypto can be broken in under half a second exactly. today. Yeah, so we have to reinvent the you, entire space. We need to, we're already thinking about what is the it's new a great economic opportunity. Yep. We're running out of time. And I did want to touch on leadership because you've been very outspoken and a role model as far as it comes to defining a purpose, living a purpose, you articulated that already, and your strategy around 
the customer. Can you talk about, and we've got you know, leaders of companies of various sizes here, a lot of them starting out, mid-sized companies. How, how should you, as a leader, think about purpose? How do you create an organization that rallies together? It's, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion about it, but you've done it. I think the uh, single data point that I'm most proud of at PayPal is that 94% of PayPal employees are proud to work at PayPal. That's an amazing number. Um, and about that same number understand and support and are enthusiastic about our mission and our values. But that's because we kind of live up to them every day, even when it's difficult to go and do that. For us, our mission is democratize financial services, right? And democratize capabilities for small businesses. That's very inclusive, and therefore our probably our number one value is diversity and inclusion. Um, and we stand up for that. But I, really, I feel like you have to live on your values. Like if values are just posted on your wall, they're propaganda. They're nothing else but propaganda. Like nobody believes it. But if you stand up for them and people see that you're standing up for them, then they rally around that. You know, I always say employees always come first because great employees create really happy customers and really happy customers create really happy shareholders. And so you've got to have, you can't underestimate uh, the best talent winning. I don't think we could end on a better message than that. Time has flown. All right. Thank Sister, you so much. thank you for building the company you've built, for leading the way you lead, for being outspoken on key issues, and for being a visionary on behalf of everyone here. Sincere thank you, Dan, thank for you. spending time with us. Thanks for downloading RBC Disruptors. Our show this week was produced and edited by Vocalfry Studios. You can reach us at rbcdisruptors at rbc.com and join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. Thanks so much for listening.